0: LSAC recently announced new test dates, the demise of LSAT Flex, and the return of LSAT, but remotely. Let's get the lowdown from LSAT expert Steve Schwartz of LSAT Unplugged. Welcome to Admission Straight
1: Talk, the podcast dedicated to graduate admissions and helping you approach the application process thoughtfully and successfully. Your host is Acceptance founder and world renowned admissions guru, Linda Abraham. Accepted, our
0: mission is to get you to that unforgettable moment when you read your acceptance email and shout,
1: yes, I'm in! Confident you'll be attending the perfect program to help you launch the career of your dreams.
0: Welcome to the 415th episode of Admissions Straight Talk. Thanks for joining me. Before we meet our guests, I'd like to highlight the featured resource for today's show. It is Accepted's free download, the law school admissions guide, eight tips for success. Get your copy to learn how to develop your law school admission strategy, choose the right law schools for you, select a topic for your personal statement, and get accepted. You can snag your copy at acceptit.com slash 415 download. Again, that's acceptit.com slash 415 download. Our guest today is Steve Schwartz of the LSAT blog and the LSAT Unplugged podcast and YouTube channels, which we will link to from the show notes at acceptit.com slash 415. Steve graduated from Columbia University in 2008. In high school and college, he tutored students in a variety of subjects and also helped prep test takers for standardized tests, including the LSAT. However, he really began to focus on the LSAT when he was applying to law school, founded the LSAT blog in 2008, and never looked back. Today, 13 years later, he has helped thousands master the LSAT, get into law school, and sometimes secure scholarships worth thousands of dollars. Steve- Welcome back to Admission Straight Talk.
1: Thanks so much for having me back on, Linda. Great to see you again.
0: Great to have you. Now, we spoke almost exactly one year ago when the Flex LSAT was new. Corona was new. At the time, we discussed the new and remote Flex LSAT. Today, we're going to discuss the demise of the Flex LSAT. What gives?
1: I mean, basically, the Flex was always kind of meant to be temporary, and I think that's why LSAT gave it the Flex name to distinguish it from the normal regular LSAT. But here we are one year later, COVID-19 is unfortunately still with us to some extent, although hopefully things will be looking better later this year with the vaccine rollouts and such. But LSAC, they they can't keep administering the LSAT without experimental sections. They've got to be able to test out future questions. So starting in August this year, they're adding back in an experimental section And they're going to start calling it just the LSAT again.
0: And how is the LSAT going to be different from that Flex LSAT, given that they are both remotely proctored exams?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's a very, very small difference. I don't want people to get overly stressed about it. It's still the same question types, the same difficulty level. So you're going to have logic games, logical reasoning, reading comprehension like before. It'll still be the same length of 35 minutes per section, But the overall test sitting will be longer by adding back in that fourth unscored experimental section. They'll also insert a break between the second and third sections. So the length gets a little bit longer, maybe 10-minute break plus another 35 minutes for that fourth section. So test takers are looking at roughly a 45 minute longer exam. But as you said, it'll still be online.
0: And entirely online. Are there any in-person testing centers planned for those who prefer
1: that? Not currently. At the moment, I don't think that we'll see any for quite a while, but LSAC indicates that they're open to the possibility, although they still will keep the online option we're expecting. And they've said it'll be online through at least June 2022. But this is still much shorter than the pre-COVID LSAT, which had five sections, four scored, one unscored experimental. Now the LSAT for the foreseeable future will have three scored sections plus one unscored experimental section.
0: Got it. It's very interesting from my perspective, GMAC with the GMAT, you have an option to take it in person or remotely. MCAT is entirely, the medical uh, aptitude test is entirely in person. There's no remote possibility. I think GRE has both, but I'd have to look. And the LSAC is entirely re- remote. So it's, it's like each one has, has a different approach.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's so many logistical things for them to deal with that I can understand. I mean, on the one hand, I think it's nice to give people options. On the other hand, it's a lot of work to offer in multiple contexts. And in person, the logistics of doing it that way, booking the testing centers, especially when the LSAT, unlike some of the others, I mean, if I understand correctly, the GRE is virtually every day. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So the LSAT's not even every month, it's almost every month. So Great. they don't have that same level of regularity. It's like the things are kind of ad hoc for each time they're doing it.
0: I think there are also many more GRE test takers.
1: Yes, just yes. so many
0: more subjects, but yeah, yeah. You know, stepping back and looking at the landscape overall, it's kind of interesting how each one has chosen a different path.
1: Yeah, confusing for people who want dual degrees, right?
0: Right, that's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah. Go for the GRE.
1: Now, will applicants know which section is experimental? So that's the thing. I'm glad you raised that question. They will not know during the exam. They will not know whether that unscored extra section is going to be games, reasoning, or reading comp. And they also don't know where in the exam it'll be. So it could be your first section, you're doing it, and it's unscored. It could be the last section, in which case, at least you've already gotten through the stuff that mattered to you, or it could be somewhere in the middle. And they don't tell you which section it's going to be, because if they did, you probably wouldn't try as hard. And then that would affect their ability to benefit from the results of what you're doing. They want to be able to see how you perform. So
0: every test will have four different sections and just one of the sections will be unscored.
1: That's right. So there's going to be three types of sections, but one of them you're going to get twice. So then you'll know that one of those two is is the test. Exactly. So after all said and done, you're going to know, okay, well, if I had two logic game sections, one of those was the fake one. You're just not going to know which one it is. But let's say you do logic game section one, logic game section two. Well, then you know the reading, comp, and logical reasoning is going to be real.
0: Exactly. Okay. So at least you have that information, good or bad, you have it. And of course, as you're going through until you get the second section. Yeah. So you've basically,
1: unfortunately, you've got to try on everything.
0: Of course. Do you recommend that applicants take the flex LSAT? In other words, they make sure they get it done before. We move to the LSAT before August as soon as possible, essentially? Or should they wait for the traditional
1: LSAT? That's a great question. I mean, all else being equal, I think anybody would prefer to do it without the experimental section and be done by June. But right. I would not recommend that you rush it if you're not fully ready by June. And that additional two weeks could make a big difference.
0: Yeah, as, as with almost anything in, in admissions. I mean, one of the things I always tell applicants, the last one, when should I apply? I'll say apply as early as possible, provided you don't compromise the quality of your application. And the same as with the test taking
1: experience. Yes. That is an enormous caveat that everyone should pay close attention to in all of these contexts, right? I mean, right. doing it earlier, getting it done sooner. I think all people just want to be done with this stuff and get on to the actual grad school they're applying to, right? <laughs> the law school they're applying to. This is just a means to an end. But these things are incredibly important. Your LSAT score yeah. matters a great deal. And so Don't rush to get it done by June just to do the three-section version when an extra two months could make an enormous difference in getting a higher LSAT score, getting more scholarship money, getting into better schools. And that June versus August thing, the August LSAT's in mid-August. You get your results back at the end of August. You can still apply at the beginning of the cycle either way.
0: Right. And you'll apply knowledgeably, knowing, knowing what your LSAT score is as opposed to just kind of applying in the dark. How should applicants adjust their prep in light of the additional section and increased length of the LSAT versus the LSAT flex if they're not ready to take it by July?
1: I would say just practice like it's going to be on game day. So do four-section practice test sittings, splice in an unscored extra section from another exam, or I'll, and place that extra section in any position, first, second, third, or fourth. It's kind of funny, actually, but the released prep tests from the past- are all four section exams because the exam used to be four scored sections plus Mm. that fifth unscored experimental section. So if you want to insert logical reasoning as your extra section for the new LSAT starting in August, 2021, you've already got it built in with all of the previously released exams. There's Mm. nearly a hundred like that, but you don't want to only use logical reasoning as your extra section. So you should also make some little Frankenstein exams inserting logic game sections from other prep tests or reading comp sections from other prep tests. But you do that, you'll be ready. Great
0: tip. Now, LSAC indicated it may need to adjust the core release date, the score release date rather, given anticipated higher volume for the August administration specifically, probably because you will have the score before you actually can start applying. Now, how much longer do you think it will take to get the score if you take the August test?
1: I would say you'll probably get it within three weeks. It used to be a three-week wait to get your score back. Three weeks
0: of the the test date.
1: Yeah. So three weeks since you took Mm -hmm. it or three weeks Mm -hmm. of that testing period. So three weeks, it used to be three, used to be, of course, pre-flex. It was on a single day. It wasn't like you had a whole week of flex administrations like we have now with the online LSAT. So Mm -hmm. you get it about three weeks later and they wouldn't even be precise about the date. They would have an estimated release date, but then release it randomly early. So everybody was super stressed about whenever it would come out. With the Flex, they've adjusted things with the new uh, LSAC president, Kelly Testi who's great. They've been much more uh, better at communicating with students, and they've been saying, two weeks from now, you'll get it. They actually stick to the date. That's very comforting for folks to not be frantically checking their LSAC accounts or their emails. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Reflexively doing so. <laughs>
1: yes, really, definitely. I mean, but with as they're changing things up a little bit, I think they're giving themselves a little bit of wiggle room, a little bit of a buffer, because they also want to calibrate things a bit more with the longer testing sitting, the potentially higher volume of people might have some more work to do on their end. So they're saying maybe a little bit longer, I'm guessing three weeks at most though. Also, law schools really want those scores. They want to get moving on applications. And LSAC really is an organization meant to serve law schools. And so if law schools want something and they're all in the same boat on that thing, I think LSAC's going to really work hard to deliver it. So I'd expect at the very least, within like the first week of September. But I'm sure they'll be working around the clock to get them out.
0: Right. Now, the undergrad world and parts of the graduate world have really been rocked as COVID accelerated or moved different programs to test optional or to issuing test waivers. I mean, on the undergraduate, I think we're now at 40% or 50% or something like that. I understand that 60 of the top 100 MBA programs are now either test optional or issuing test waivers. There are a couple of medical schools that have gone test optional, which is kind of mind-blowing. And obviously, some law schools have decided to accept the GRE. Do you see that happening in the law school world? And why or why not?
1: Well, there's, I think there's two questions here, right? Because one is about, will they start taking the GRE as well? And then separately, will they go test optional entirely? So with regard to the GRE, I do expect that more and more law schools will take the GRE as a way to widen the applicant pool. I mean, they can, of course, evaluate folks on other criteria like their GPAs, like their application essays and such, and they can choose very carefully whom they choose to admit with their GRE score as opposed to the standard, which is the LSAT. So I think that on a long enough timeline, virtually every law school will take the GRE as well, especially once Harvard start and make that big announcement, then many other schools followed suit shortly thereafter. Oh, yeah. Because if Harvard does it, then it must be okay, right? right. <laughs> and they also feel, they, I think they'd like to be able to widen the pool and take more applicants. That increases their selectivity, if nothing else. So of course, theres I think there's a, a strong incentive to do it simply for competitive benefit over other law schools. So I think we'll certainly see every law school or most law schools take it eventually. Test optional is a different story, though, because in part, the American Bar Association requires schools to use a valid and reliable admission test. For, I think, most of the time that we've been around, it's been the LSAT as the main game in town, right? right GRE right. is a fairly new uh, entrant. Is it valid or reliable? I mean, there's that's debatable, but it seems to be that they're accepting that. Right. It's No, no one's going to shut down a law school for doing the GRE instead. But test optional altogether, I think, is is, is tough to sell. There, I've seen a couple of... Have you seen it? There, I think there was a school in Arizona that said that they considered the first semester of law school to be the best possible test for how you would do in law school.
0: So in other words, they're not requiring transfer students to have the
1: LSAT anymore? No, they were actually accepting students provisionally oh, based see. on their performance during the first semester of 1L. And they said, well, Got if it. you can cut it that way... Then we will take you for the remainder of the three years.
0: Mm, Very. And I hadn't
1: heard that. Yeah. I thought it was a very creative interpretation of valid and reliable admission tests. Yeah. And they, I mean, they got away with it from what I've seen. I didn't see anything saying that it wasn't going to work. Of course, this was with a very small number of students there. I think it might've been only for their own school's undergraduates. So it was like maybe like a a pilot program or or mini pipeline Mm -hmm, of sorts. It wasn't mm -hmm. like they were opening this up to the entire world. Yeah. Yeah. I have my concerns about it though, because if you don't do well, then you just spent the first semester's tuition and have nothing to show for it if you don't get taken for the rest of it. So I have some concerns regarding that. And I'm not sure that a lot of schools would go that route, but that could be one pathway to standardize test optional, but still technically falling within what the ABA requires under, again, what I consider a creative interpretation there.
0: Obviously the ABA's uh, approval is critical. that's, That's the accrediting body. I know in the, in the business school world, several programs have, have started issuing test waivers. So basically what they say there is, you know, you, you fill out a form and you show that without the GMAT or the GRE that you're likely to do well in business school, okay? Based on your performance in, in college, based on your work performance, they have good confidence that you're going to perform academically. And then the school will issue a waiver. And you don't need to take the GRE or the GMAT to get in, and so that that's kind of a middle middle place between test required and test optional. No test required. Again, it's it's a middle middle spot. Again, from my perspective, seeing different graduate programs, it's really interesting to see how they're they're all handling this because on one hand they want to increase access, they also want to stay competitively exclusive. So if they waive the test you know, application volume soars. And if they don't, students are happier, they don't have to, applicants are happier, they don't have to take the test. They don't have to spend money on the test. They don't have to spend money on prep, but it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out.
1: No, I I really like that idea actually, because there are a lot of students who for whatever reason, they just don't do well on standardized tests. It could be nerves, it could be anxiety, it could be any one of a number of factors, but they've demonstrated their aptitude and their ability to succeed in law school based on some other factor. It could be work experience, it could be their GPA. And so if they can show, for example, that uh, their SAT or ACT performance did not accurately predict how they would do in undergrad, and they killed it in undergrad and got a great GPA, then why wouldn't we think they could do similar in law school as well? The one concern I have, which I think is why the ABA requires this test is, is bar passage rates. So if the bar exam exists and it's required to practice as an attorney then we want to make sure you're going to do well on that. And the LSAT has some correlation with first-year law school grades, which in turn can, can uh, translate into bar passage to some extent, but these aren't the strongest correlations in the world. So I could see why in many, many cases, it wouldn't line up. And I actually think there's far too much emphasis placed on standardized tests in general. Mm-hmm. And to some extent, they're a necessary evil, but I'd love to see alternatives like what you laid out.
0: It's kind of putting your money where your mouth is
1: uh, to the student. If you, if you think you can do well in law school,
0: Show us and we'll admit you.
1: Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, at the same time though, I still wonder about. On the one hand, the law school gets that money, so oh, they yeah. have an incentive to offer that program. Right. And then, secondly, I mean, the students, a lot of students desperately, desperately want to go to law school, and then they're taking out big loans. And right. so, I could see some of some of these bottom of the barrel of law schools, and I'm not going to name any names here, but there mm-hmm. are certain schools that I think don't have the students' best interests in mind as much as they have their tuition dollars in mind, <laughs> and they. They, 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 they need those students to make their overhead right. and some schools are in trouble. And so they're looking for, to get dollars wherever they can get them. Right. And that's where you have certain things like these master's of legal studies degrees, for example, that I'm not sure are a good substitute for getting a JD.
0: Clearly. Great points. Thank you. What are your top tips for people, people taking the LSAT remotely?
1: I would say my biggest tip is to really simulate the testing environment as much as you possibly can. Making talking sure about that, practice exams, practice tests. Yes, so making sure you're taking your practice tests in the same room you'll take the actual thing. Making sure your internet internet connection is strong, and if not, reaching out to LSAC about getting uh, an alternative place to take it. They'll give you a or they'll give you, they'll reimburse you if you want to take it at a hotel, for example, with a good internet. So I'd say wired internet if possible, and making sure no one else is using it at the same time. So make sure it's strong enough because there's nothing more frustrating than getting kicked out in the middle of a timed exam setting on the real thing. So simulate, simulate, practice, practice, make sure that you're used to the the online LSAT format. So LSAC created Law Hub, aka official LSAT prep plus, where you can take the majority of LSATs with the same look and feel, the same style as you'll do an actual test day. And so don't do the majority of your studying in, in books when the exam has changed format completely. Makes sense. Great tips.
0: One question that occurred to me just now is, I mean, it does happen that there's a power outage or your internet goes down. Somebody can do everything you said, right? They can do practice tests in the room. They're going to take the exam and they can work on a, on a wired internet connection and still something will happen. What, what happens then? What do they do?
1: Yeah. So that's the worst thing because you could do everything <laughs> right. And then something happens from a totally outside external factor that just ruins it for that day. What you do is reach out to LSAC immediately, ask the proctor to make a note of it as well, if possible, depending on what happened. And then in some cases, LSAC will set up an alternative date in the short term. So maybe you could take it a week or two later. Alternatively, you might not be able to take until the next sitting, which is typically going to be a month later, maybe two. But that's really the, the best they can do for you, unfortunately, in most cases, and you know, they can't undo what happened already. And a power outage, of course, is, is out of their control. And hey, I mean, there are things that go wrong on Proctor at ProctorU's end as well. And ProctorU, by the way, is the organization administering and proctoring the online LSAT. So there could be happy, things that happen that are at their fault as well. Either way, reach out to LSAC, reach out multiple times if necessary. Hopefully they'll make it right. They don't always get back to people quickly, though, just because of the volume of people they're dealing with. But keep following up, keep calling, call first thing in the morning if you can, because that's the best chance of getting through to them without a long wait time.
0: Great advice. What would you have liked me to ask you that I haven't asked you about the return of the LSAT and the demise of Flex?
1: I mean, honestly, Linda, I think you, you really covered everything. I, I love the questions. I think, we, I think we hit it from every angle.
0: All right. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your taking time to speak with me. Um, Where can listeners and LSAT test takers learn more about your coaching service?
1: Yeah, sure. So again, I'm Steve Schwartz. I run the LSAT blog and the LSAT Unplugged YouTube channel and podcast. I'm pretty easy to reach through all of these platforms. I've also got a free, easy LSAT cheat sheet. Folks can download at bit.ly slash LSAT cheat sheet, all lowercase, and that's the best way to get started.
0: Okay, great. Thanks again, Steve. We'll include links in the show notes at accept.com slash 415 to the websites that Steve just mentioned, as well as to other resources and interviews, including Steve's previous interview. Listener, thank you too for joining Steve Schwartz and me for our 415th episode. Quick reminder, grab your free copy of the Law School Admissions Guide, Eight Tips for Success, accept its informative free guide for law school applicants, and you can get that copy at acceptit.com slash 415download. Again, that's accepta.com slash 415 download. And a final request. If you find the show worthwhile, please share the good word by leaving a review on iTunes. Your doing so helps us spread the news about admission Straight Talk. Doing so will also enroll you effortlessly in the thank you for your review contest. One listener a month who leaves a podcast review on Apple Podcasts, aka iTunes, will win a free 20-minute consultation with me. You can leave your review at Lovethepodcast.com slash AST. Again, that's lovethepodcast.com slash AST. I look forward to hearing from you and speaking with you. Thanks again for coming. This is Mission Straight Talk produced by Accepted and I am your host, Linda Abraham. I'll talk to you again next week.